We okay? All right. Because uh, Kendall said I have been around a while. I was just looking around and remembering when we cleared a spot over there for what they were going to call the family center. And uh, I remember standing on a ladder and setting rafters that were there with lutivets to expand the tabernacle over that way. Um, have been here for a long time. Uh, I started um, coming with my son, who was in the nursery at the time. Then I took him to father and son catfish tournament where he ended up on TV this deep in the water. My daughter, Grace, worked in the, uh, the office for a while. And my youngest, Joy, is uh, now a sophomore at Spring Arbor College. Um, those are some of my favorite uh, descriptors. I am Will's dad. Joy's dad, Grace's dad, and if your child has gone through the king's kids, Juliana's husband. But the best thing that I have been able to be called is I'm a child of God, and I am pleased that no matter what I do today, the Holy Spirit has already been moving. You're going to take something away, and I really can't screw that up. I was supposed to preach last year, but uh, last year I got COVID, so I had to stay home. And uh, Kendall was gracious enough to let me come back this year and try again. So I prepared a uh, teaching. I was going to talk about how important it is to remember that the Old Testament is what Jesus preached. The Old Testament is what Paul wrote in his letters and that we need to understand that the Old Testament is the foundation on which we stand. And I was going to use Matthew 5 and talk about what Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. <laughs> you may have heard something similar to that. As I broke out in a cold sweat yesterday listening to J.J. preach. So last night, I kind of rewrote everything that I had prepared. So if I get lost or get stuck, we know it's his fault. <laughs> I had kind of a Jonah experience as I approached ministry. I wasn't sure that it's what I wanted to do. I... Uh, I took a series of tests, you know, when you're in high school, and, and I said, well, whatever it tells me to do, I will do. And I took the ACT, and I, I did pretty good. I got a 30-something on it, and they started to say, you know, you, 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 you could do some, some, some science here. And then I took the SAT, and I got a 700 and something in math, and they said, you're supposed to be an engineer. So then I took a personality inventory, and it said that you should be a pastor, a psychologist, or a youth director. And I went, what a bunch of hooey that is. So I went to be an engineer only to find out that I really wasn't suited to be an engineer. And I began 
a path back around. And I started doing youth ministry and camping ministry. Well, I did other jobs, and I, I continued to find that more and more and more, it's the ministry that I was focused on and not the job that I had. But I still didn't want to go. And I talked to God, and I said, God, okay, if this is the way you're going to play it, I'll go to seminary, but I've been reading this stuff, and the only place I want to go is Duke. And they just closed their admissions. I've missed the window. There's no money, and there's no way I can go. But if that's the way you want to play it, I will fill out the application. I set the application in, relieved that I had put that behind me. Eight days later, the phone rings. This is Dr. Greg Duncan of Duke Divinity School. I'd like to welcome you to the class of 1992. We've had a cancellation, so we've reopened, and we have a space in Duke Manor right across the street from the Divinity School and an internship if you need help with finances. And I felt like Bruce Almighty, do you know that movie? Where he looks up and he realizes the bracelet is back on his thing and, and he said, God, now you're just showing off. Well, that's what happened is God was just showing off and he said, you can make it as difficult as you want to. Don't forget who you're talking about. So I went to Duke and I was elated because Tom Langford and Wayne Wright were the theologians, the church history professor was Steinmetz, the Methodism people were Campbell and Heitzen Ryder. Stanley Hauerwas was teaching ethics and Will Willimon was teaching preaching. And the reason that I knew that was a good thing is all the other seminaries were using their books and I had them. And I thought that was pretty amazing. But the best part about Duke was the scripture department. They were heavy hitters. In Old Testament, they had Dr. Kara Meyer and James Crenshaw and a guy named Roland Murphy. If you look at your Bible, you might see Roland Murphy as the editor of one of your Bibles. When it got to New Testament, there was uh, Mickey Efert who did uh, Revelation and Daniel and Apocalyptic Vision. There was Dwight Moody Smith, one of the great Johannine scholars doing the Gospel of John. And there was Richard Hayes, who was the Pauline scholar who wrote the commentaries for Romans and Corinthians. And the thing that you came to do at Duke is you had to pick which three scripture, less, uh, scripture classes you took because they were really in-depth and they just exhausted you. And the th saying was at Duke is that you, you picked your three and, and you had to pick and choose because taking more than three, if it didn't kill your grade point, it might kill you. And nobody would be stupid enough to take more than three scripture lessons. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm that stupid. And I went on to take seven scripture classes which meant I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning every morning and do extra reading and extra writing so I could keep up because they were tough. I learned things about Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all sorts of things, but the one thing that I was so pleased with is 
how well they crystallized it, how well they made it a common sense thing. And as I was taking these classes again and again, I would hear, when you are leading worship, don't us, let us ever hear that you cut the scripture. If you don't have time to read the scripture, your, ser- your, your sermon's too long or your service is too short. You read the word of God. He says, the second thing is I never want to hear that you wanted to preach on this thing. And then you want to find a scripture to back you up. He says, Keep, make it very, very clear. Never use God's word to tell your story. You may use your story to tell God's word, but don't ever get it the other way around. So what I come to you today is looking at Second uh, Kings chapter 6. And this is a, I've learned to borrow from the best. This comes from N.T. Wright. Reading scripture in public isn't just about feeding our own spirits and minds. It's rehearsing the mighty acts of God for God's glory. 2 Kings 6. Now the king Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he says, I will set up my camp in this place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware passing that place because the Arameans are down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in those places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officer and demanded of them, tell me which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my Lord. But Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Then go find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men to capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a force. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, he saw an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. And he said, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked to the hills, and he saw them full of horses and chariots of fire all around. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. The Old Testament sounds weird, sounds crazy. You open your eyes and you see chariots of fire. But it's because Elijah prayed that they might have eyes to see things the way the Lord saw them rather than the way the world saw them. Does that sound like a good message for this time? 
when I was thinking about what I was going to say, I was thinking about what was going on in your local congregations and what might have gone on and in the United Methodist Church, almost every church is trying to decide if they're going to have a vote, when they're going to have a vote, where they're going to have a vote. And what's happening in this situation is people who are old-fashioned and faithful are being told that they are causing a schism. And I felt on my heart that I was called to come to you with a word of reassurance. If you are seeing things through the eyes of the Lord, you're not the one causing the schism. You need to be strong and of good courage. That might be a good message for today. Because the idea is, is that we're supposed to see things through God's eyes, not the world's eyes. They looked out and thought they were outnumbered, and Elijah said, open their eyes so that they might see the way it really is. And there was more on our side. Another thing that I enjoyed about Duke is not only those that they had on faculty, but those that would visit. One of the people that visited was a preacher from Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And he had taken this church of a few hundred people and turned it into a church of 7,000 people. So he was coming to tell these young preachers how to do ministry and how to build a congregation and how to be successful. And there was all these books about strategies and and and. And, and formulas and, and ways to invite people in to cause retention and to engage people. And we wondered what was the most important thing. And toward the end, we finally asked him, what, you know, what is the secret? What really makes things happen at Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church? And the senior pastor, whose name is John Ed Matheson, stood up and said, there's lots to think about but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing and sometimes we forget that and he said oh and by the way his name is Jesus so whenever you start to get confused and you start to worry and you start to wonder, I want you to say those words to yourself. Repeat them after me. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And most of the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. See, as we look at Matthew 5, We find that Jesus has this habit, and he's talking about, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And what I did last night is I went back, and I was looking at chapter 5, and I said, well, that's been used pretty good. So I flipped to chapter 4. And you know what he says in chapter 4? It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus is just pouring out Old Testament wisdom to the people and explaining to them 
you lost your way. It was right there. So you see, in this, this understanding, a lot like the wisdom that George, that John Ed Matheson was pouring out, it wasn't new. It's just what you forgot. You lost your bearings. You lost your rooting. Another thing that the scripture professors at uh, Duke talked about, he says, beware of people who say, well, we're a New Testament Bible church. Crenshaw used to say, does that mean they cut Matthew out and Romans too? He says, the other thing that's very interesting is sometimes a Bible church will only use three, four words or one verse. Just make sure you read the whole thing and get deep into it so that you understand where it is coming from. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, Anyone who sets aside the least of these commands or teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, certainly you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The passage closes with, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the devil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's not challenging at all. So as we engage in this, this debate, as this battle between who's right and who's wrong. I think sometimes we get sucked up into the world's understanding and we lose sight of what's really at stake here. Another of the people who came to Duke was a preacher by the name of Tom Long. He came to us from Princeton. We didn't hold that against him. And uh, he said, one of the things that you have to understand that there are only two designations. You have your congregation and you have the mission field. Where is your enemy? Is your enemy in your congregation or is your enemy the mission field? They're supposed to be one to the Lord. 
John 3, 16 and 17, I think that's very important, says, For God so loved the world that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For he came not into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Except that people really, we really don't like, and then it's not for them, right? Folks, there's people who are hurting our feelings. There are people who are disrespecting what we believe. There are people who are telling us that we are closed-minded or hard-hearted, which I think is even worse. But we need to continue to pray for them. Because they are our mission field. As I think about this, maybe it's because I'm an engineer, but I think about Sir Isaac Newton. And Sir Isaac Newton was the one who said, if I have seen further than others, it's because I am standing on the shoulders of giants. This was paraphrased for me by a preacher by the name of Sam Proctor. And Sam Proctor was debating a guy by the name of John Spong, Bishop Spong. And Bishop Spong is a brilliant, brilliant man who is writing a variation on Christianity. We'll put it that way. And the debate was going on back and forth. And someone asked Sam Proctor, do you think that you're a better theologian than John Spong? And Sam Proctor said, oh, God, no. He says, but it's not my word against John Spong's word. I stand on the shoulders of Irenaeus and Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and John Wesley and the rest. He says, because I stand on the shoulders of giants and I stand in the truth, I can stand up to anyone. As I stand on the side of the truth, I can stand up to anyone. As we stand on the side of truth, and we pray for our enemies, and we pray for those who disagree with us, we have to realize there is a compelling attraction to the truth. And that invitation does not end. So what we have to do at this point in time is we speak the truth faithfully. And we pray for our enemies. We pray that they would come Join us. I think about this in terms of, do we see the world through the world's eyes or God's eyes? See, in the world's eyes, we're opponents. In God's eyes, we're brothers and sisters. In the Old Testament lesson, they saw the chariots and they were terrified until their eyes were opened and they saw the angels and the chariots of fire on their side. 
As we look at the world, they talk about us versus them. In the kingdom of God, we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray that they may one day be restored because they'll know we are Christian. No, that's a camp song. Sorry, going through my head. But you see, in a world that's obviously growing darker, there's a blessing in that. Henry Blackerby talked about, as the world gets darker, your light shones brighter. If you can be gracious and forgiving to your enemies, they may be persuaded by the truth they see in you. We are made in the image of God, and if we can allow little glimmers of that to reflect back to the people around us, that might be drawn to that light, and they might too see the truth. They might see things through God's eyes and be restored because of the image of Christ that shows through you. So be strong. Be of good courage. Don't return as the world returns, but give as God gives. I'd like to pray a blessing upon you and, and close this out. Almighty God, as we come before you, I pray for each person here because I think just like Esther, these people were born for a time such as this. There is an opportunity coming where people will bait them and try to get them to fight like the world fights instead of loving like the Lord loves. When that time comes, make them strong. Allow them to be of good courage. Allow them to light your, let your light shine through them. And all God's people said,